Give me a little time just to talk to you about one or two things. Um, I want to start um, a message. I'll probably do several on this subject in my uh, turn to talk to you over the next few weeks. So um, today will not be a complete understanding. So um, what I would ask of you is don't try and complete what I don't finish and don't do what we often do, which is go away and presume people are saying things that they are not saying, okay? Then make it as though you said that when actually what they really mean, because you didn't say that which they wanted you to say, you obviously said the opposite. Do you understand what I'm saying? So uh, you'll see why in a moment, because I want to talk about is the Bible real and for real, uh, which you could put in other words of, is it the word of God or is it the construct of man? Very important subject. Um, now, let me get a couple of things out of the way at first, because again, um, sometimes Christians are not the easiest people to talk to. I don't like fundamental Christians, and I don't like fundamental atheists. Because you can't talk to either in a reasonable conversation, Right? So, so, what we need to do is at least have the opportunity to, to ask some questions to see where we actually sit in the context of what the Bible is, what we believe about the Bible, what the Bible was intended to do. So, some of it may be a hint controversial, of course, controversy is only controversial to those to whom it's controversial. So always remember that when you say that was really controversial, what you mean is that's not said what I would like it to have said or it doesn't say what I actually believe. Doesn't mean it's controversial, it just means it's different, okay? So can we have like a mature conversation about this? Because when I say conversation, I'm being kind to you because I'm doing all the talking, okay? But you can come and talk to me at any time um, afterwards. Um, I want to also do something at the beginning, take about 10, 11 minutes. I want to show you a YouTube video um, of a guy that, if you know who he is, you're going to have varying thoughts about him. And that guy's name is Russell Brand. Okay, How many of you know who Russell Brand is? Now, I don't... Um, He's one of these people that you love to hate and hate to love. You know, I mean, he, uh, he irritates the nonsense out of me at times. Um, but then at times I also love what he says because he has a real turn of thought that really appeals to me. Um, and um, yeah, you know, the guy's got a story, but haven't we all? I read something this week that I thought was a great comment on... Uh, the Bible story of the woman who was caught in adultery and the brother and they wanted to stone her and Jesus said, the law says we should, what do you say? And of course it's the story that says, let the one who is without sin be the first to cast the stone. People always like to point out, um, particularly to me and to us, that we are way too gracious. That we've taken God's forgiveness too far, that we've included too many people. Well, I'd, let you know, I'd much rather err on that side than the other side, okay? I'd rather big God up than bad God down. Um, but of course, people use that 
story and then they give you the last verse and say, yes, but Jesus did say to the woman, go and sin no more. Now that, that's the reason people often use to say, yeah, but this is not a license for anything because he told the woman, go and sin no more. And this person writing in the book said, just ask one question. She says, so how are you doing with that? How are you doing with that, the go and sin no more? Hey, how you, how, how, how's that figuring for you? Have you managed that? Because if you have, I'd love to have your secret. See, we all need the grace of God, and sometimes, sometimes we have interpreted God through a lens that I think more rests in the Greeks and the Romans' concepts and thinking than it actually does in the picture the Bible's actually showing. So we're going all the way back to Genesis to start casting a, an image um, of the nature of God. But before we do that, I want you to see this, this um, little video clip. Now, it was in response to another guy called Stephen Fry. Now, Stephen Fry is a well-known comedian, actor, of course, was Melchick in Blackadder. Um, and uh, Stephen Fry had been on RTE, the... Um, the uh, uh, the Irish, Southern Irish TV channel uh, being interviewed on a Sunday morning and saying that God is a monster. And the video is Russell Brand's response to Stephen Fry. So we'll have a look at it and then I'll, I'll, I'll talk in a bit. Hello, I'm Russell Brand. This is The Truths. Do subscribe here. Now, Stephen Fry has got to be one of the most beloved people in this country, if not the entire world. He's made us think about depression, homosexuality, cleverness in a different way. He's General Melchit from Blackadder, for God's sake. He's one of the most beloved figures in our cultural pantheon, and he's clever as all hell. And here I am, about to get into a debate, if not an argument, with him, because Stephen Fry really, really aggressively doesn't believe in God, and I really, really do believe in God. He went on a TV show to talk about atheism and God. Let's have a look at it now. Suppose it's all true, mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates, and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, what's known as theodicy, I think, I, I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly... A maniac. Utter maniac. Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? It's perfectly apparent that he is monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. In a way, what Fry is talking about, in my opinion, is literalism, a literal interpretation of doctrine. In this case, because it's an Irish Catholic interviewer, Gabe Byrne, he's talking about a literal translation of the Gospels. And other than like mentioning some uh, phenomena in nature, like burrowing insects and that, talking entirely about human behaviour and human value systems. Now, Joseph Campbell, the cultural mythologist, said, all religions are true, 
in that the metaphor is true. So what Campbell's saying there is that, that religion is an attempt to explain the unknowable in the same way that science is an attempt to explain the unknowable. Science can explain the mechanics of the universe and can explain the mechanics of biology and anatomy, but can it ever explain the why? The answer is no. It can never explain why this is happening. What we all want to know is, is there a reason for us being here? And what is the nature of the universe? What is the nature of our consciousness? This is an interesting book called Biocentrism by someone called Robert Lanza. Here he tackles the idea of creation and addresses the flaws in the same way that Stephen Fry is addressing the flaws in Christian doctrine. Robert Lanza here addresses the flaws in received physics. In the last few decades, there's been considerable discussion of a basic paradox in the construction of the universe as we know it. For example, if the Big Bang had been one part in a million more powerful, it would have rushed out too fast for the galaxies and life to develop. If the strong nuclear force were decreased to 2%, atomic nuclei wouldn't hold together, and plain vanilla hydrogen would be the only kind of atom in the universe. If the gravitational force were decreased by just a hair, stars, including the sun, would not ignite. These are three of more than 200 physical parameters within the solar system and universe, so exact that it strains credulity to propose that they are random, even if that's exactly what standard contemporary physics boldly suggests. Terence McKenna, a kind of wacky shaman fella, said that the uh, perspective of contemporary science is give us one free miracle and we'll explain the rest. That free miracle being that the universe sprang into being with these exact rules that are required for life and consciousness to exist. I suppose what Christianity and Islam and Judaism and Hinduism and Jainism and Buddhism are trying to do is make sense of our position, our perspective as awake, conscious, sentient beings within the infinite. For me, as a person who believes in God, my understanding of God is this, that my consciousness emanates from a perspective and it passes through endless filters, the filters of the senses, the subjective filters of the senses and of my own biography. This is good, this is bad, this is wrong, I want that, I don't want that. But behind all of that, there is an awakeness, an awareness that sees it all and it's in you too and it's in Stephen Fry and it's in the man that was interviewing him. It's in all of us, an awakeness, an interconnectivity. None of us can ever know if there is a God, but we do know there is an us. None of us can ever know if there's wrong or right, but we do know there is an us. What do you think Jesus was then? I think he was a very good soul. Uh, he was an inspiration as a teacher. I do think a lot of the things he says are actually nonsense when you examine them. They, they seem very beautiful. But a bit like the Dalai Lama, they're actually twee and completely impractical. And in that sense, an insult to the human spirit. Like that he, that he moves without sin, cast the first stone. At first, you think that's rather wonderful. Yes, what hypocrites. How can you possibly have a justice system? Nobody would ever go to prison. For me, Fry's conclusion that we should abandon God to be free, I believe the opposite, that we should embrace God to be free. Not embrace dogma, not embrace doctrine, but look, that, because within religion, even the most conventional religions, there's so many beautiful things. In fact, the things Stephen Fry said there about that he who is without sin cast the first stone comes from a story in which uh, Mary Magdalene, a prostitute, was being condemned, and Christ said, 
said, well, hold on a second, before we all start getting leery about Mary Magdalene, you lot are all perfect, are you? And now Fry says, how would that you apply that principle judiciously in contemporary justice? Well, I would say that when you are condemning murderers or paedophiles, to acknowledge within us all is the capacity for evil. That as Solzhenitsyn, the Russian writer, said, the line between good and evil runs not between nations, religions, continents or creeds, but through every human heart. So when you are judging a paedophile, when you are judging the worst kind of criminals imaginable, to acknowledge that the thing in them that has manifest this negativity is also within us. And that our first duty is to negotiate with the negativity within ourselves. And that if we can successfully negotiate with that, then we can create a better society. Jill Bolt A. Taylor, the neurologist that had a brain hemorrhage in the left side of her brain, experienced consciousness in a different way. When the conscious, nagging, left-sided mind that sees everything in materialistic and macho, rationalistic terms abated, limitless energy became available to her. She noticed that in fact her consciousness was a system of filtration and when the left brain when the left brain was quieted she felt herself as part of a complete consciousness. Now no one can argue that you know when a lion eats a gazelle it can't be very nice for the gazelle but what you can argue is that in infinite space that doesn't matter. Then the tiny fragment of reality that we experience through our materialistic senses, our eyes that only see a limited range of light, our ears that only hear a limited range of vibration. The things that we experience here, we can't make any absolute conclusions from them. No one knows if there is a God or if there isn't a God. No one knows which interpretation is closest. We know that religion has long been used and continues to be used to justify the objectives of man, whether that's crazy terrorists in Paris or a great big Catholic church that was born of an alliance between an emperor and some radical, a radical rebel group. When Constantine converted to Christianity, that's about materialism, that's about intellectual colonialism. And the thing that Fry condemns, I also condemn, because that is materialistic, humanistic dogma. That's not spirituality, that's not mysticism, that's not the acceptance that we are temporary, that our consciousness is connected to all consciousness. It doesn't matter where you come from, whether it's Freudian, Freudian analysis or Darwinianism, or the analysis of the cosmos. From the quantum to the cosmic, there is an unknown force behind things. What, what's your attitude to people who say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm very spiritual? I have to be... <laughs> I have to say, I get very worried by people using words like energies. Bad energy and good energy and positive energy and negative energy. All those things have no meaning to me, and I don't think they have any real meaning. Uh, but, you know, if people want to grasp a crystal... Uh... You can't judge all religion on the most stupid bits. That's like judging all football on the most stupid bits. I don't like football. Why is that? Well, when Eric Cantona kicked that bloke. Cantona is getting involved with some supporters. Oh, this is outrageous. Emma, the hugging saint, you uh, look at her here, learn more about her here. Emma said, the question's not, is there a God? The question is, is there suffering? Yes, there is suffering. And what can we do about suffering? We can help one another and we can love one another. Now, if you can do that through atheism, then do it through atheism. But a lot of people need to know that this is temporary, that we are the temporary manifestation of something greater, something complete and whole, something timeless and spaceless and absolute. And every dogma 
in the world has been trying to tackle and understand that. Art has been trying to represent it. Science has been trying to explain it. And no one can. We are up against the parameters. And I believe that without embracing something spiritual, something whole, something beyond human thought, we have no chance of saving ourselves and saving the planet. We are all connected to consciousness. We are all connected to one another. And to me, that sounds a little bit like God. That is some true news. Or is it true? What is the nature of truth? Is there any true news? Maybe this isn't even true news. Oh no. But do subscribe here. Oh, that was a really good starting point for us because um, so many little questions and challenges that shake our equilibrium as to have to go back to the beginning and say, okay, let's try and construct this as best we can from this book called the Bible and see what we've made of it, what people have made of it, what the Bible makes of itself. I um, have gotten connected to quite a few atheist friends on Twitter and uh, I constantly keep telling them when they throw things back, I don't believe in the God that you don't believe in either. Because I really don't. The God that they tell me they don't believe in, I don't believe in that God either. So so I wanted to challenge our thinking and, and, and shape our direction, um, starting in the book of Genesis. Of course, the word Genesis means the origin or mode of formation of something. Hence the reason why the first book of the Bible is called Genesis. Now, you might say why Moses called the first book Genesis, but Moses didn't call the first book Genesis. We put that title in, but it's a good title. But some people will even fight you because they'll say it had to be Genesis because Moses said it was when Moses didn't say it was Genesis. So this whole argument starts to get really silly if we're not careful. It's Genesis because it's the story of beginnings. So, so um, as, as in the musical... Um, uh, Sound of Music says, the good place to start is the very beginning. Let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. So I want to talk, uh, begin my attempts to talk to you about uh, the Bible and the Word of God, the construction of man or God's Word, from the book of Genesis. Now, question, is Genesis the Bible's attempt at a scientific explanation of the universe, or is it something else? Very important question. Is it, is it something deeper, something of greater significance than actually the attempts to prove that it's a scientific explanation of creation? Is it something more than that? Not something less than that, something actually more than that. Is, is it attempting to explain how in the context of science or is it attempting to explain why in the context of humanity? See, Russell Brand rightly said that science can tell us how, but science cannot tell us why. And you then get into the whole conversational debate that comes up when you get into these areas uh, between science and philosophy. I actually believe that, that the message of the one who the Bible calls the Abba of Jesus, the Father of Jesus, and the message of Jesus is outside of and beyond philosophy. Hence the reason why, outside of philosophy, this group of people were nicknamed Christian. Now, that's become a name that sadly is associated with many things that I would rather disassociate myself 
from, but when it first originated, it was an attempt to tag these people who were not institutionally uh, trying to form a new government, but were actually trying to personally and relationally make a difference in the world because of the message that Jesus had left them with and the promise of what would come from, from the following of, of, of that message. So, so I don't believe that we can argue the book of Genesis from a science perspective, but we can argue it from a why perspective. And the issue is the, the Bible actually, in its essence, is not about how, it's about why. And when you catch that why is the more important message, you'll then understand the how, because it's connected to the why. The how is not putting judgments on people. The how is not excluding people, right? The how becomes the expression of the why, which is God so loved the world. So, so we've already looked at that in Genesis. Now you may ask the question, which I have to be honest about some of these things, do I believe in evolution? The answer to that is yes and no. Um, I believe in an evolutionary process. I personally do not believe in uh, the evolution of cross, crossing species. Okay? I, I really struggle with that. I have reasons... Uh, apologetically and philosophically for my argument about that. For example, I don't believe that, that uh, one creature becomes a different creature. I think horses evolve within the horse scheme and apes evolve within the ape scheme, but I don't see the crossing of species. That's, just, that's where I stand. However, for Christians to argue that evolution is all nonsense makes us look really stupid. Because the truth is there is an evolutionary process, a development that takes place from an initial creation miracle. Now, I love what Brand said when he said about, you know, the philosopher saying, give us one miracle and we can explain anything. The truth is, science cannot exist without the one miracle. Hence the reason with all that we know, we're still looking for the next thing, whether it's the Higgs boson or whatever it is, because somewhere we need an originating point. Personally, I am with Brand. I, I personally believe that there is a power outside of that that we know as God, the Creator. I, I believe in God, the Creator. I, I can see sense and feasibility in much of the scientific process, but I cannot accept the scientific, non-scientific conclusion that therefore something came out of nothing. That's not science. That's, that's, that's imagination, that's fantasy. So somewhere in there, we always find ourselves back at originating points. So I wanted to say that about, about the beginning of, of, of Genesis. If it's an attempt at a scientific explanation, there are some very obvious sticking points within its narrative order. For example, on the first day of creation, it says, God said, let there be light, and he separated the light from the darkness, and, and the evening and the morning were the first day, okay? So let there be light, and it separated the light and the darkness. The problem is then that sun, moon, and stars are not declared to have been created in a separate event until the fourth day, with the statement being to separate the day from the night. We've already heard that. To give light on the earth, we've heard that. To separate light from darkness, so which was it? Was it day one? Was it day four? So if you're trying to take this, an attempt to scientifically explain, explain creation through this narrative of Genesis, you're going to hit these sticking points. Now, 
Let me take that further and say that if you continue to read the Bible through a certain perspective, you will see glimpses of a monstrous genocidal maniac heaven-bent on proving a point by eliminating all who get in the way of his purpose, which seems to be ensuring that one ethnic group of people gain unchallenged rule over the whole of humanity, and he is recognized as the sole ruling authority of the universe. Then along comes Jesus, who seems to present a kind of face of God, almost like a divine PR campaign to readjust and popularize the image of the Most High to a wider audience who are just not buying the story to this point and need to be brought into line with a clever intervention. The story then, though not having changed in its essence, looks kinder and nicer, but is really just another distortion in the perspective of a beautiful story, coloured by the weakness and frailties of humanity, but nevertheless beautiful. And this beautiful story has been coloured because of the lenses through which we have seen it. So, so as a Christian, I cannot sidestep and avoid the challenge of people presenting to me these things that seem to reflect a maniacal genocidal God who's just out to destroy people and who's doing the very thing that Christianity is not supposed to do, which is in support of one ethnic people, kill all others and make yourself the boss. Now, I know this is uncomfortable stuff, but it's proper stuff. It's the kind of stuff that we have to deal with that we have to talk about. Now, I don't believe that that is the God of the Bible. I believe he's the God who has been represented that way in the Bible. But I don't necessarily believe he is the God of the Bible. Question, how much did dreams of empire and expansionism by a small, relatively insignificant group of people affect the author's view of the events that they were recording? I I believe... The Bible was written under inspiration from God. I don't believe the Bible was written by God. I believe the Bible was written by men. I believe there was inspiration. The problem is when you listen to me, you'll go away today and there'll be things you like, things you didn't like. There'll be things you represent correctly. There'll be things you represent incorrectly because of the issues and perspectives of your own life. Now, I'm not by any means claiming to be God, but but have you ever considered that that could possibly occur in the writing of the narrative of Scripture and that that does not devalue the authenticity or the power of Scripture? It just humanizes the process that has brought Scripture into our hands. But you see, my view is this. If there is not a consistent thread that can go from Genesis to Revelation, then it's not the thread. So what I want to show you and attempt to show you uh, over the next coming few messages that there is a clear thread from Genesis to Revelation, but sometimes it leads us to a different God than the one many of us have either been familiar with if you were raised in church, or a different God than you were told if you weren't raised in church, okay? He is not a genocidal maniac, but sadly sometimes God was working with genocidal maniacs, And if you're a genocidal maniac, you're going to do your genocidal maniacing in the name of God. So many times in history, a nation goes to war in the name of God. To fight a nation who is at war with you in the name of God. 
So is God schizophrenic? Who's right? Now, it would be easy to say in one context where, for example, it involves different religious traditions like Christianity and Islam, that, well, it's righteous because take the, take the crusades. Well, it's righteous because we are Christians and we are, we are going to get rid of the, the, the Muslims, the, the, the Islamic people who have overrun Jerusalem and we're going to take that place back and we're going to kill them all. It was really Christian, wasn't it? The crusades. Or even Christians to Christians, the Roman Catholic Church in the time of the Spanish Inquisition. Even the fact that we would take a dear lady just because she hid a Catholic priest in the shambles and take her to Oosbridge, put an oak door on her and invite the citizens of York to come and place large rocks on the door until she was crushed to death. That lady was Margaret Clitheroe. And we did it in God's name. Well, she was protecting the priest in God's name. There's a problem somewhere. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I'm proposing to you that sometimes the perspectives and the wording used to report an event, particularly in the Old Testament, can have, just give me at least the space to say, it can have been influenced by what was happening in the insecurity of those people who were writing it in, in their dreams, in their desire to expand, could have, would you at least allow me to think it could have had an effect on how that's written. If you understand that, that's going to get rid of some of the conflicts and the, what you think are the contradictions that people often challenge you with. So how much do these things sometimes affect our interpretation of the story? Okay, so, so we've got an issue of we are conveying information, we're conveying a story. In our own lives, how much of what's happening to us affects the way that we interpret a story? Now, coming back to our seeming contradiction about, about the different kind of lights, you know, day one, let there be light. It's a nice choose that the phone. So it might be God. Might be God phoning up to say, go on, son, you're right, tell him. Um, coming back to our seeming contradiction about day one, let there be light, to separate the dark from the light and create the day. And then day four, saying God made the sun, the moon, the stars, to separate the night from the dark, to create the day. Uh, well, there's an issue about this because... If you look at it from a different perspective, how about there is a very different kind of light necessary to illuminate existence than just the light of natural phenomenon? How about this is not the science of sun, moon and stars coming into the earth. This is something much bigger. Saying there are different kinds of light. There is the kind of light that came when God said let there be light, which was not the same kind of light that occurred when you have sun, moon and stars, suggesting that we need two kinds of illumination. Two kinds of illumination. A natural illumination that allows us to see in the natural world and measure seasons and times and days in the natural world. But first, before that, we need a much bigger illumination, which I would call a spiritual illumination. An illumination of the whole of creation that does not come from physical things. Okay? So let me look at Genesis just for a few minutes through the adjusted lens of the possibility 
that there is some truth no matter how broad in the things that we've just said. The tone, the direction of thought, the indicators of intent are all established in verse 1 of this amazing narrative. Genesis 1.1 starts in this way, in the beginning. It lays a marker down before anything else is ever said about which we would argue. And the marker is simply this, in the beginning. There it is. There's the pitch. There's the note from which the whole song emerges. The Bible is a book about beginnings. Lots of them. Over and over again. It's about beginnings. Not one beginning, but a perpetual cycle of beginnings. It's not a book drawing your attention to how it all ends, but where and how it all begins, for who and for how long. It's a book of beginnings. And even what seem to be endings are in reality beginnings. For example, if you read three, two, couple chapters on beyond chapter one, you will read about Adam and his expulsion. I'm doing one of those. Expulsion. There's the camera. Expulsion. <laughs> from the Garden of Eden. Which people will tell you that what happened, he made such a big mistake in doing what God said not to do, which of course we've never done, that God expelled him from the garden and didn't talk to him again, God turned his back on him. The only problem is, if you read the book of Genesis, God's still talking to humanity. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't turned his back on us. And the interesting thing is, if you actually read the narrative which we may cover in one of our future weeks, it actually says that God put a protection in the east of the Garden of Eden where the tree of life was to stop Adam and Eve taking fruit from the tree of life. It doesn't say that they were excluded from the whole garden, it just said that they couldn't get to the tree of life. For obvious reasons, which may not be so obvious to you, and I'm not even going to begin to try and explain them tonight. My point being this, that Adam's death, Adam's ending to that state that he was in before he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil only marked the beginning of a new experience for Adam. It marked the beginning of a different experience, a more difficult experience, but it was not an end, it was a beginning. And it was a beginning not where God was absent, but where God was present, And the issue is we create most, if not all, of our own problems. But they become a new beginning where God is still present. See? Because it's about beginnings. How do we know it's about beginnings? Because the flipping book says so in the first words. In the beginning. So, expulsion from the garden. What about Jesus rising from the dead? The whole pinnacle of Jesus' message was he died, but on the third day he rose again. Why? Because in the beginning, okay, he all seemed to come to an end, but the end was actually a, a beginning. Now, this is my encouragement to you. We come to many endings in our life, but every ending simply leads us to another beginning. And your problem only comes when you insist in living in the ending instead of accepting the beginning, 
Do you understand what I'm saying? In the beginning. So God speaks to us and says, here's the tone. Catch the tune in the beginning. So you mess up. So you've, you've blown it. So you're struggling with your faith. Here's the encouraging word. But in the beginning is what the Bible is all about. Beginnings. And also why Jesus said to an old religious member of his presumed elite group... In, in the New Testament, in John chapter 3, you must be born again. He said, how can a man who's old be born again? In other words, how can I have a new beginning? I've lived my life, I'm old, I've gotten involved with the Jewish ruling government party, I'm anxious to learn why you're here, but I'm old and I'm stuck in my ways, how can I, being old, be born again? Do I have to enter my mother's womb again? He wanted to understand it, but practically couldn't because he's then thinking in, in Genesis chapter 1 verse on fourth day terms, natural things rather than first day terms, supernatural things. But Jesus said, if you can catch this, you'll be born again. What did he mean? He says, you being an old guy, thinking you're part of the right family, but actually that's not giving you access to the God you're looking for. You can have a new beginning. That's the gospel. In the beginning, it starts, first word. There's the pitch. There's the note from which the whole song emerges. Now, I haven't got many minutes left, so let me just take you a little further. The pattern of the Genesis account is totally consistent to this proposal with its strange declaration and the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. And the evening and the morning were the third day. Where does every one of them go? To the beginning. Now, as we distort our understanding of the truth of God and the spiritual reality of the light that he brings to us, we flip everything on its head. So we live our lives, what, from the morning till the evening, from day to night. But Genesis chapter 1 says it's the other way round. It's evening to morning. It's from darkness to light. It's beginnings, beginnings, beginnings. So here's a translation. The first day was a new beginning. And the second day was a new beginning. And the third day was a new beginning. And the fourth day was a new beginning. And the fifth day was a new beginning. And the sixth day was a new beginning. The seventh day was a new beginning. There's your cycle. New beginnings. So one Old Testament prophet wrestling with this said, New every morning are your mercies, O Lord my God. Okay? Because your steadfast love never ceases. Your mercies never come to an end. But every single morning they are brand new. When a thing is new, it does not mean that it has been renewed from the day before. It doesn't mean it's reused. It doesn't mean it's second hand. He caught the understanding that every new day there are new mercies from God. New every day are your mercies, O oh God, he says. So I want to encourage you that you're living life from morning till evening. 
But Genesis says, no, live, live life from evening to morning. New beginnings, new beginnings. Every time you fail, you are on the brink of a new beginning. It comes by faith in the first day miracle that says I'm not governed by the natural things, but I'm governed by that incredible light that God said, let there be light. And that light is in you and on you and over you and waiting to burst out. Okay, so just a little more. In the beginning, we read God. The problem is that word is plural. The Hebrew word there for God is plural. You look in any, any abridged version of Hebrew, uh, Brown Briggs Driver, anybody you wish, Strong's, anybody you wish, Mounds, and you will understand the word used there is plural. So it should accurately say, now I understand why it's not written this way, but it should more accurately say, in the beginning God's created the heavens and that would be more accurate but you see here we are again it's not a scientific declaration of of how creation happened it's a declaration of why creation happened so we know it's about new beginnings but then we have to wrestle with the thing of why is it gods why is it plural well I, I would pose a couple of explanations for that first one being that partnership is and has always been important to God. That God isn't God without partnership. In the beginning, God's. Now, I personally believe there is a case for the fact that Father, Son, and Spirit, or Father, Word, and Spirit, if you read the Gospel of John, were elements of the same being God who in partnership let us, because when it comes to creating man, it's very interesting because it says let us make man in our image, not let me make man in my image, let us make man in our image. Why? Because the issue is this is not scientific, this is spiritual, that God is all about relationship, okay? He's about relationship with every essence of who he is and he's about relationship with humanity. So here's the issue. In the beginning, God's. In the beginning, it's about new beginnings that are connected to relationship. And if you let the relationship and the beginnings connect together, what happens? He created. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. The relationship connects with the beginnings, and when that is accepted, something is created that changes our world, heavens and earth. God created the heavens and earth. God is into doing a heavens and earth creation in you, in your life, in your very existence. Partnership was the issue here, not domination or control, and it creates harmony within the tune. So when we have a perspective of Scripture that diverts to domination and control, you've immediately broken the pattern and the rule of Genesis 1 verse 1. Because partnership is it, not domination or control is established and it creates the harmony within the tune. Relationship creates the harmony within the tune. It does on this level and it does on this level and it creates a beautiful, beautiful song which is God's song for the earth. So this harmony of perpetual new beginnings 
through partnership, reaches its crescendo in the manifestation of creation, heavens and earth for humanity. And then the New Testament talks about new heavens and new earth for humanity. It's a story, a song of beginnings, new beginnings that can happen in you and for you and around you when you catch this tune and start to sing along. I've often said, and I really, really mean it, I'm not trying to be proud or facetious, but if you just give me the first three chapters of Genesis, I can preach to you every doctrine of God, every spiritual doctrine that's contained in the Bible. And I would say tonight, just give me verse one of Genesis chapter one, and I can tell you what the whole thing is about. It's about beginnings, it's about relationship, and it's about the creation of a new world in you, inside of you. Whether that's the new heart that talked about in the New Testament, whether it's about a new expression of God, whether it's a miracle in your existence, whether it's the impossible becoming possible, whether it's darkness turning to light, or nothingness turning to something, whether it's death turning to life, it all comes from this wonderful principle. So the good news for you tonight is it's all about beginnings. You can go some places, all they talk to you about is endings. The end of when you being judged, when you die, and of course the obsession that, well, you know, God's going to send people who didn't agree with what he wanted to do into eternal conscious torment forever and forever and forever. I'd have to say I struggle with that conclusion because I think the whole thing's about beginnings in the beginning I I have met an understanding of God that has changed the way I perceive him and see him because he's the God of beginnings he's your God of beginnings is the God of beginnings wherever you are, whatever you've done, whatever has happened, is the God of beginnings, new beginnings, new start. That's why the Bible talks about new birth and new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Where's that relate to? It relates to here. It becomes a beginning. So I invite you tonight to begin. Say, so but what about. Listen, I could also show you in Scripture, the Bible talks all about the old is gone and the new has come. Blessed is the man whose transgressions, whose iniquities, whose errors, God does not count against him because he's not dealt with us according to our sins or rewarded us according to our iniquity, but according to his loving kindness and tender mercy as far as the east is from the west, that's how far he removed our Transgression, what can that mean other than new beginnings, new beginnings, new beginnings? You are under grace tonight. You're under a spirit of beginnings. And what it needs to connect is that acceptance of a day one light. Can't explain this. Science won't give you this. Philosophy won't give you this. Psychology won't give you this. And an acceptance of this super relationship that has come to us and been offered to us from the very first verse of the Bible that Jesus came to declare. That's why John, the closest disciple to Jesus, when he wrote his account, starts it with what words? In the beginning was the word. Why does John say that? Because he understood it, he caught it. He caught it from Jesus. It's about beginnings. So he starts his book the same way that God started this book, in the beginning. I invite you into those beginnings today. 
I invite you into the light that invades the whole heart and soul, that deals with the issues of our life, that, that, that restores our appreciation of our relationship with God, that he always felt the same way about us. I invite you to receive it tonight, because this is a time for beginnings. Let's pray. Father, tonight, thank you that we are subject to the same spirit that created the universe. And those same powerful words that brought that same powerful beginning, that released that same powerful relationship, that unleashed that same powerful creation, is in this place tonight, and it's available to every one of us. I personally receive it. I thank you, I thank you, I thank you, I thank you for the new beginning spirit that you put in, for that born again spirit. And I just pray that it will go out like a wave over this group of people tonight, Father, and be received what it is that you have offered and said so that your word will create in us heaven and earth becoming one under your rule and kindness and generosity and spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, that wasn't too painful, was it? Well, uh, we'll say some more in the coming weeks. Enjoy the rest of your night.